Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, it's Christmas time, and I'm, I'm pretty excited because, you know, last year I was back east the whole time seeing the lovely Joanne, and we had her place all decorated. And now she's moved out here, and it's the first time since I've lived in Burbank. I lived in Burbank 12 years. It's the first time I will have a Christmas tree in my apartment. So it's going to be very odd. I'm not used to that with all the needles, but it's going to be good. And, uh, of course, it's still 75 degrees, and it's going to be Christmas, which sucks after last year spending it. But you know what? I can't bitch. I have a roof over my shoulders and uh, I have to get presents, which is good. It's always a pain in the ass getting presents because now that she lives with me, I have to hide them. I don't know where to hide them because I'll put them in my closet, but when she puts clothes away, I'm all screwed. Anyway, enough about that. We have a very funny guy. He's, he's a Philly guy. He's a, he's a Philly. Well, he's born in Philly, but he's from We have Brendan Walsh. How you doing? Hey, man. You know, it's funny. I was thinking Sorry, when... Sorry, I'm adjusting. It's all right. That's funny. I was thinking when Brendan, it's funny because people probably call you Brendan, Brandon sometimes, I bet. I get, I get everything besides my right name because there's not a lot of brendan's though which is it's like yeah, there's a, I, there's more out there but it, yeah brandon's just more common and uh people are just lazy i mean nobody ever spells my name right yeah because uh, i was i was right and plus walsh can, can be spelled in different ways i mean you're you're w-a-l-s you're w-a-l-s-h yeah yeah but there's a lot that are w-a-l-s-c-h I don't get that too much, okay. and I haven't seen that too often. But uh, yeah, the Brandon thing, and then uh, I just I have a whole file of photos of um, you know posters and stuff at comedy clubs where they misspell my name. It's, it's always it's isn't always, that the worst? It's yeah. like you're coming in, you're they've booked you. You can't Google me. I know you can't sit there and go, okay. Well, the most frustrating thing is we've exchanged. We've exchanged like 10 emails. Right. Read the email address. Like that always, that really chaps my ass because it's, they'll misspell my name. My name's spelled B-R-E-N-D-O-N, which is a not the most traditional spelling. But when you email me and then in the body of the email, you have it spelled B-R-E-N-D-A-N or B-R-A or Brandon. It's just it just, it's just drives lazy. me nuts because it's just you, right. You have Google. It's like when you go to a restaurant and you see the menus that the spelling is atrocious. Yeah, yeah. And you sit there and go, okay, like there's one. that's like instead of beer battered fish, it's like beer buttered fish. Or <laughs> the worst is I saw a, a Chinese restaurant, which I don't know why the Chinese restaurant it was like own. It was like some Chinese plates and some sandwiches, uh-huh. but they had a Philly cheesesteak, and this is no lie. They spelled it F I L L Y, and that's just oh, yeah. <laughs> that's just lazy. It's like with your name, it's just lazy. You're yeah. there's you're getting hired by them. Right. They should sit there and go, okay, you're the act. Okay, let's make sure this guy's name yeah, spelled if right. If it's not for you, yeah. you're not going to get a good show. You know, yeah. I mean, truly, you know, people they may get a show, but they may hire a comic that sucks, yeah. then they're going to get a good job. So they should sit there and go over a board to... Well, it's it. partially my fault for not changing my name when I yeah. got into show business. Well, because I, you know, the uh, that Beverly Hills 90210 show, there was a character named Brandon Walsh, the main character. Right. And I didn't start doing comedy till you know, 2002. And uh, the, the show, that show hadn't been on for a while. And I thought, no, oh, that's not going to be a problem. But every day... I mean, not just the comparisons to my name and, and the 90210 guy's name. Right. Just never ending. Made well, the, a lot of mistakes. Now, you're from Philly. Yeah. Right? Now, what, what, you were born in Philly. Mm-hmm. What part? Frankfurt Hospital. Uh, grew up in Tacony, which is... Uh, Get the hell out of here. Yeah. My mother is from Tacony. Really? My dad is from Mayfair. Yeah. And in Tacony, my mom, I mean, her parents were immigrants right off the boat. Uh-huh. They lived, and now it's... I, I, it's they owned a little bar. Okay. On the on the corner of Cotman and Tarsdale. Yeah, yeah. Which now is a gas station. Yep. But my mom, I mean, my mom's 
eight. My dad passed. He, he was 88. My mom's 80, whatever. Mm-hmm. But she was born in 1930. She went to uh, Frankfurt High. Okay. Now, did you, yeah. where did you go to high school? I went to I went to Central for two years okay. and then uh, wound up at uh, Northeast. Because my dad went to Northeast because he's okay. from Mayfair on the corner of Princeton and Dittman. Wow, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I uh, grew up right around, right, right in that, right in that neighborhood, right there. And the place that you're talking of the the gas station that used to be a bar that was right across the street from like a Roy Rogers. I, just, I mean, it, 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 it was a, like when, as long as I remember, it was always a gas station. Yeah, yeah, me too. It, it was a bar I, like in 19, you know. But it's like the four corners there. There's a there's St. Hubert's, the all girls high school, and um, and then there's a park. On the uh, on the other corner, and then there's a fast food place. Used to be a Roy Rogers. I okay. think it's a Boston Market, and then the gas station on the on that like southeast corner. I guess it would be. So you're, you're from that area, so that's that's yeah, totally. Yeah, that's. Uh, I would get off at the Cotman Avenue exit of 95 when I was okay. driving home. Now I don't know. You can never believe Wikipedia or reading. Now, were you a child actor? Is that what I read? No. See, that people has, have someone gotten... has that says on Wikipedia. <laughs> it says you were a child actor. Okay. And I was like, well, and I, 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 I am DB'd you, and there yeah, was yeah. no child credits, and yeah, I go, yeah. and it's like, does why does Wikipedia do that? Anybody can change Wikipedia okay. re, uh, entries, and it's probably it's partially my fault because I had publicly on Twitter asked. Um, the you know just said hey can somebody change my wikipedia page to say that i've been dating kirsten dunst for the last year okay i just for whatever reason thought <laughs> that would be it. funny <laughs> and it's funny because then somebody did it and then some other knuckleheads when you know people were adding all kinds of crazy stuff and I don't know. What do you? What am I going to do about it? Like police my right. Wikipedia page constantly. It's, just, it's crazy. Though. But I always, I always, I was talking about the first hour because the guy, my first guest, was the guy who's a character actor, been around forever. But he was jo- the father of Jeremy in those T-Mobile commercials. Yeah. Okay. And he was saying people get all crazy on Twitter because the one scene they wanted to have sex, and I was like, well, old people can't have sex. And people just sit there, and it's like they have too oh, much yeah. time. It's like with you, someone is too much. You do it as a joke, and someone goes, and oh, he's a child actor. It's like do people do you have that much time. I, you have to figure out how to get in there. I don't even know how to get into Wikipedia. It's easy. I think uh, once you, because I had, I had an account, you just have to make an account okay. and then you can edit any, any, uh, any entry. But I think they have a thing where if you go in and you keep adding made up stuff to, to entries, then they'll suspend you or something. But people just have a field day with mine, which, uh, you know, I get it. I like to goof around and like do stuff like that too, to a certain extent. But, uh, it is annoying when, you know, you go and check your... Oh, I, I'm never looking at my Wikipedia page either, but right. I checked it one time and somebody put something about, like, you know, bestiality on there. Like, there's a documentary called Zoo about people who, uh, you know, have a thing for animals. Okay. And then they added a whole thing. But the, the Kirsten Dunst thing was funny because that was, like, an example of a joke that almost blew up in my face. Because uh, they somebody added it to the Wikipedia page, and it was there for, for a while. And then I met a girl, and we were kind of like, you know, she didn't live here. She lived somewhere else, but we kind of had a little, you know, thing going on. Right. And she, we were going to meet up when I was on the road. I was performing in a city near where she lived and was like, hey, why don't you meet me in Minneapolis or whatever? And we're texting back and forth, and she was like, well, I don't know. Are you dating Kirsten Dunst? Because I don't want to be a homewrecker kind of. I'm not that kind of person. And I just thought that was so hilarious because number and I was like, no, no, it's a complete joke. I had right. somebody do that. I totally forgot about it. But I thought it was so funny because there was a there was a real chance that 
I could have just never heard from this girl again. Like she could have just been like, screw this guy. Right. He's such a jerk. And yeah. just never. And I would, it would just be one of those mysteries for the rest of my life. Like, I don't know. We were getting along fine. And then she just completely that's, stopped texting yeah, me that, back. That would, yeah, it's and like it's a, all my fault. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. So now, now growing up in Philadelphia, did at, at a young age, were you, did you try, did, did you want to get into acting? I mean, how did this whole, did you ever want to do comedy when you were a kid? Or were you a fan of comedy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Besides Big Daddy Graham, listen to his call in six, six. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the divorce song. <laughs> My D-I-V-O-R-C uh, today. The, was it? Oh, hey. no, that was a different... I was also, you know, like as a kid, that uh, WMMR, their the, morning John, zoo John DeBella. John DeBella and Mark the Shark. Mark the Shark. I'm going to tell you something about Mark the Shark, because the Comedy Factory outlet was their club, and it was, yeah. like, it was right before Stern took over. Yeah, like, yeah. But Mark the Shark, and they, it was him, and there was uh, Roger Wilco was the uh, producer. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. When him or Mark the Shark would come on and host... It was so awful. Oh, I'm sure. Because Mark the Shark would sit there and just, he would tell us at the door, you know, the door, we'd, we'd watch the room because we all did it because it was stage mm-hmm. time. And uh, he would say, okay, um, if anyone heckles me, make sure you shut him up. And DeBella <laughs> was the same way. And DeBella yeah. would just drop names. Like, oh, yeah. so. Uh, Joe Piscopo. Daryl Halls helped <laughs> yeah. me lay out this a- Indian, Asian rug that I got from, you know, yeah. uh, Bill Cosby. And, and, and he'd be sitting there and he was. But so you listen to and Clay Heary. Clay Heary. Who? He was the owner <laughs> of the Comedy Factory. Uh... He was the owner of the Comedy Factory outlet. You know, his mom was my first grade teacher. Really? Yeah. Because he's Northeast. She, uh. She was the meanest lady ever. She was so she was so mean to me. I was a six year old kid, and I was a goo. You know, I was a goofball. I wasn't a bad kid. Yeah, I was also yeah. I was six. Like not that I have to defend my childish behavior, but you know, I was I was like you know a class clown type. Um, Not not over the top, but whatever. I just I, I was six. I just wanted to have fun and laugh all the time. And she just she hated me right off the bat. And. uh you know, it was the beginning of 12 years of, of just horrible school. Like, it was an initiation to, like, you're going to have this problem throughout your entire school really? career. Yeah, there was always at least one teacher that was like, I don't like this guy. And it's just something... I, I still deal with it now. Like, there are just some people just don't like me Do think, on site. Is, is it the beard? Well, I didn't have the beard when I was in first grade. Uh, <laughs> He's a very hairy sixth grade. I think, you know, it's yeah. just, I'm a certain, I, you know, I almost, I kind of get it to a certain extent. Like, uh, to me, you just look like a Philly guy. You know, it's like, to me, it's like, you look like my friend Greg, who's used to be bartending here at Gordon and Beers, and he's yeah. back there. He's got, he looks like one of the Eagles. He's a long hair, uh-huh. the band, he has a yeah, red yeah, fried yeah. mustache. Uh-huh. And I, he just, when he cleans up, he looks like the guy from Homeland. Yeah. But when he doesn't, he's just, you know, you got that. But to me, that's like the Northeast. You're Irish. Yeah, yeah. It's Irish like the guy. Irish Philly guy look. Yeah. Or just, you know, I hate to be stereotypical, but it's like people like you. It's, they're Dime all a over, dozen. They're all over Philly. <laughs> yeah. But and everyone likes everyone likes Irish guys. That's Yeah. No, I, you know, I just, I had problems with teachers throughout my career. And it's not just, you know, I'm not saying that I was completely without fault. Right. But there was just, you know, I just, I do, my personality just rubs certain people the wrong way. And. You know, what are you going to do about it? I, I get it. It's like, yeah, I'm kind of like a jerk, but a good-natured, fun-loving, like, I like just being a rascal. You're not, yeah, a rascal. You're, <laughs> yeah. you're not a dick. You're a rascal. And there's exactly. a big difference. Rascals are fun. Yeah. You like to hang out with rascals because, one, they, you know they're going to initiate the crap, but they usually take the fall. Yeah, they're like, yeah. it doesn't turn you in. They're like, yeah, yeah. they're rascals. Well, you know who also is a rascal. Another uh uh, Irish comic, uh, you know Jimmy Schubert. He's from Northeast Philly. I don't know Jimmy uh, super well. We've met a couple times. He's, he's a, he uh, went to Archbishop Carroll, I think. His dad was okay. a detective. He's he's a, he's a, he's a rascal. He's yeah. one of those Philly rascals. You guys are all those Philly rascals. I'm from Cherry Hill. There's we don't a, have rascals. There's a certain. Uh, 
Yeah, there is a certain kind of like Bob Saget is uh he's a Philly guy yeah. and he's got that kind of like uh button pushing Tompkins mentality. was it Tompkins is a Philly guy? Yeah, Paul F. Tompkins. There's a lot of Philly guys. Dom Herrera, Bill Cosby. Yeah. I went to when I went to Central High School, which was uh you know, it was like a good high school. It was a public high school, but it was like one of the top ten in the country you had to take a test to get in and stuff. I wound up getting kicked out just for uh being a rascal? Pretty much. Well, I, I went to Catholic school for eight for my mm. first eight years. And then going to this like smart kid public high school that it had more of like a college atmosphere where they left too much up to like I showed up at this high school and and was like, oh, I can cut school. Like was introduced to cutting school. Okay. And there wasn't real strict discipline. It was like, get the work done that you need to get done. Because if you fail more than three class, if you fail three classes in one semester, you get kicked out. So, uh, but I, you know, going from Catholic school to this, like, you know, basically Berkeley in the 60s college. Right. I just like, oh, I'm never coming to school. I'm going to cut school all the time and goof off. So um, I wound up uh, getting kicked out. But the, the three... Um, Oh, Bill Cosby went there. He got kicked out after a couple of years to Central. Uh, Norman Fell, Mr. Roper. I, lo- I love Norman Fell. He's also a Philly guy. Larry from the Three Stooges. Yeah, Larry Fell. Went to Central, uh, played violin, and uh, Teller from Penn and okay, Teller. Okay, so there's a nice alumni. Did, did they yeah. all get kicked out? No, just Bill Cosby. And you. Bill Cosby and me <laughs> got kicked out in our second that's, year. That's, that's perfect, though. Yeah. So now, so, so you were listening to MMR, so you, so you were listening to the funny, so you had an idea you wanted to be funny. Mm-hmm. And now, and, and as you said, when you were, I mean, when you got out, did you go to college when you got out of high school or? Not right out of high school. I, I, it was a struggle. My, my school years were a struggle just as far as, you know, just, I just, uh, you know, problems with authority, didn't want to be there, already knew everything. So, right. uh, so didn't want to go right into college and my folks were cool with, they're like, yeah, we don't want to throw money right into a toilet. We know you're going to just goof off. So I dabbled when I was about 20. I went to went to Penn State for like a year, went to community college. and um, But at that point, I had already started working in like, uh, I was doing PA work for TV stuff and uh, and also working for theater companies around Philly. And, what's, what, what's some of the theaters, like Schubert Theater or stuff like that? Well, or? no, it was, um, it was ma- mainly this company called Theater Arts for Youth. It was a touring... Um, it was like they would. It was a touring theater company. They would send like these uh, plays out that would tour around at schools and theaters. Um, like you know, when you're a kid in school and you go and see a production of like Babes in Toyland around Christmas. Right. It was like a place that did that. So we'd have like ten or twelve plays out on the road, and we'd like fix the sets and stuff when they came back. I worked. It was mostly like scene shop stuff too, like building sets. So you were actors. You were interested in that in the entertainment field. Yeah, I, yeah, I liked it, and um, but. As far as, uh, well, you know, like the Northeast, especially like the Northeast kind of mentality, um, and I love, you know, I love where I'm from and stuff, but uh, the the thought of pursuing a career in comedy or show business at all was just such a foreign idea. Like I knew nobody anywhere near it. And not that my parents weren't supportive, but... It it was just is from outer space to them, too. So it's like, oh, hey, I want to be a comedian. And like, okay, well, take the fireman's test, too, because you're going to need a job at some point. And so it really took me a long time to figure out, like, uh, just it wasn't until I moved to Austin and and discovered, like, open mics and met some people doing comedy 
And uh, just kind of seeing, you know, people doing things like that. I just didn't really, you know, I had friends who were in bands in Philly, but didn't know anybody who was doing any kind of like acting or comedy. Ever go to the Kyber Pass? I used to hang out at the Kyber all the time. Because that's right where all the comedy clubs used to be. Back in the day, right around the Kyber Pass, on uh, Kyber's on... Uh, uh, second second and like chestnut yeah right near well, between the, chestnut and the middle eastern restaurant yeah used yeah. to be the comedy works right right and when you walked out there you could walk down and there was this place called bank street it was a yeah. market mm-hmm. and on bank was a comedy factory outlet which was owned by clay Heary. and so back in the day all the big acts i mean every i saw tim allen there before he was big when we worked there i opened for dice clay there you know oh, wow. just like and it was one of the best clubs but there was a budding scene in but as you said as a comic for you, there was you, why do it? Because you're not going to be able to get on stage. Yeah. Well, I just didn't. There. I, I think by the time I was, I mean, I left Philly too at a pretty young. Like I started leaving when I was about 19. Okay. I would leave and come back. I'd like go. I spent some time in Oregon, and then we'd come back to Philly and be like, How would you pick the places you would go? Um, if I had friends, that, like I had a friend who lived in Oregon, so I wound up just going out and spending like six months hanging out with him. And then um, came home from there and I went to Ireland for like a year. And that was just kind of a fluke. Just saw a, uh, you know, I was walking past the travel place and it was like a cheap plane ticket. And it's like round trip to Ireland, 400 bucks. You can come and go. Like you had like a year window that you could travel in. I mean, I was still, you know, I was like 22 or 21. So I fit into the student, even though I wasn't a student, like you still were eligible for all those discounts and stuff. And so I just randomly, that was like a, a one that where I didn't know anybody. I was like, I'm just going to buy a plane ticket to Ireland because I can and, and go. And I wound up going there and just waiting tables, hanging out for Did you enjoy it though? Oh, it was great. Yeah. I spent some time in Amsterdam, got a job in Amsterdam, went to Prague for a little while. Um, but yeah, and then I would go back. Then I went back to Philly after all that. And it was just kind of like, you know, leaving Philly, coming back, going, oh, everybody's right where I left them. I'm going to right, go somewhere else. Right, that happens else. a lot. I mean, I, yeah. I went, I mean, it's like I went to my 30-year 30, uh, 30 high school reunion last mm-hmm. year. And it was, um, it's so funny. I mean, they're all wealthy in Cherry Hill. I mean, all my yeah, yeah. friends are loaded. And I'm like the cool guy in L.A. <laughs> but I'm sitting going, yeah, but you have millions, okay? Yeah. But they're still all in Cherry Hill. And it's yeah. just very weird. I mean, I think it's it's such that's such an East Coast thing. I think a lot of people just stay in the area. And it doesn't make a difference of your money you make or anything. Yeah. It's just, I think it's like people just don't like to leave the East Coast. And it's crazy because the weather sucks. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but, you know, it's yeah, everybody's different. I... Yeah, it's, I used to, you know, when I was younger and started moving around and seeing the world, it was like, you know, this 23-year-old who was like, I know everything, and like, what's everybody, you guys gotta get out, there's a whole world out there. So I was like a little maybe judgmental, like about my brother, like, you know, living around the corner from my mom, basically. It's like, God, you gotta just at least leave the neighborhood, but... Say, like, uh, you know, if everybody was like me, though, nothing would get done. Like, exactly. you know, like, there'd be no pizzas <laughs> there, delivered. There'd be there. no Northeast because everyone would have moved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nobody would live in the neighborhood. So why did you choose Austin? I mean, because, I mean, I've never been to Austin, but I know friends of mine have gone there. In fact, one of my friends works for American Idol, and they went uh-huh. down to the auditions, and he just said, it's just... And when Is it go, Ryan Seacrest? Is that your No, friend? no, it's my <laughs> Benny. He's a sound guy. And he only goes out when they do the auditions because... Yeah they put them up in these amazing hotels and they get treated mm-hmm. like gold. And he said, it's just such a cool city. Did you yeah. know it was so hip when you're moving down? I had a friend again, when I, when I got back from Ireland, I went on tour with this, with one of those kids plays and it's not kids in the play, it's adults. And we, we, we did a tour, uh, for 
I don't know, a couple months. I got back from Ireland, went on tour with this play, A Christmas Carol, me and my friend Kristen. She was like the stage manager. I was the technical Kristen director. Kristen Dunst. That's where you met her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and she had, she would come down to Austin and spend the summers there. She did like puppet shows in her, you know, that was like what she did when she wasn't working, doing the theater stuff. And, uh, and I had just gotten back from Ireland and was home for about a month, which was always my breaking point in Philly. Not that, not breaking point, that sounds harsh, but, you know, I'd come back, be home for a month and go, all right, everything's here. I'm going to, I want to go somewhere else. And it's still there. So, you know, you, you can always go yeah. back to it. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the one safety net, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's, yeah. Everyone's pretty much sticking around. So she was, she used to spend her summers in Austin and then, uh, was like, well, I'm going, she had bought a house over the, that last she had just bought a house in Austin and was like, after this tour, I'm going down to my house. If you want to come, you know, stay on the couch and check it out. And, and we went through Austin on the tour. So it was like, I didn't really know much about it going in there, but I knew after, you know, cause there was about three years of kind of just going places for like six months or, you know, a year. It was like, they were all very temporary. Just like, okay, I'm going to go hang out here for a while and then leave. And I wanted to go someplace. I was like, okay, I want to go someplace, but kind of be there for a couple of years, like, and, and figure out what I want to do. And uh, we passed through Austin. It seemed like a cool town. And, and, and it also, what I found appealing about it was like, it's very supportive of everything. Like Philly is a place that, you know, you start a band or whatever, and everybody's supporting your band when you're starting. Like, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, it's my friend Brennan. He's a band. As soon as you start getting any kind of marginal success outside of your little bubble, people are like, oh, that guy thinks he's hot shit. Right, like, yeah. uh, so, um, you know, I just felt like people weren't... Either way, in, in Austin, it's like they had a great independent film scene, great comedy scene, great music scene, great visual art scene, all this stuff that I was interested in and semi-good at. So... Uh, so it just seemed like okay, I have a free place to stay for uh, you know for a little while when I go down there, and uh, and I'm just gonna see you know see what happens. I was like 22, and you know it was like you know played in a band, uh, you know got involved with some independent film guys, uh, uh, you know met some artists. I have a really good friend of mine, Christopher Shade, who's still a great you know he's a great friend of mine. He's a great visual artist, and then it was around 2000. Around 2000 is when I kind of discovered the comedy scene. I would open for the uh, the puppet show, my puppet show friend. I she wound up, uh, you know, she would do these live puppet shows at, at bars, and um, and I would do like weird opening acts for, her. like you know, just like weird keyboard Andy Kaufmanish type, just you know, weirdo things that okay. I thought were funny and confused the audience, and uh, and that just kind of led to, there was like a comedian guy who was at one of the shows and was like, oh, are you a comic in town? I've never seen you. And I was like, oh, no, I just do this puppet show stuff. And he's like, oh, you should come to one of these open mics. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. But that wasn't until, you know, 2000 when I, or 2000, 2002 is when I say I really started. Because that's like, that's when I kind of got involved in regular comedy. And, and by then I was already like 29 years old. So, so. you started, so you started out and... Um were you were you scared the first time you're on stage? Because it's different. I mean, no. opening for a puppet show, I mean, doing something weird, mm -hmm. it's different. But I, I mean, did you were you doing the same thing as you did for the puppet show when you did your stand up, or did you start writing material? It was a little more accessible. Yeah, 2002 is about when I started doing writing material. Um, but no, I didn't have a problem. Like obviously, the first time you do anything like that, you're a little nervous, but just in the sense that 
I didn't I just didn't want to suck you know like right. I wanted to do a good job but the you know the thing that scares people like the fact of like getting in front of a bunch of idiots and, and talking into a microphone I don't care you know that's that I didn't have a problem with that it's just like oh I just want to be I just don't want to look like an idiot, you know. Right. Of course, um, that's, it's it's because you're up there, and if you suck, and the worst is, I mean, and you know, I mean, and we all have bad sets. Yeah. But the worst is when you would play a gig and you're getting paid, and and you just have that crappy set. And it happened to me in Bristol, Pennsylvania. Oh wow! I was this just about a year ago, and I was at this place, and I, I didn't play for the comedy works forever because I was I, I didn't go back forever until I met my girlfriend. I was mm-hmm. back, and I go on, and and I'm a consistent act, mm-hmm. you know. I I. I Done the, I did this for you know nine years on the road. I got out of business when I came back and uh-huh. consistent. And I that night, man, I just sucked. And, I, and it was a crowd just and the crowd sucked. And but when you leave, you feel just like it's the thing. You don't you know you don't suck, but it's the same yeah. thing. You don't want to look bad. And you, you know you walk by like the owner who's you know who had seen you years ago and booked you. You know it's to, yeah, yeah, I yeah. get out of the business and, and he has to pay you the next night. Luckily, I redeemed myself. Yeah. But that's the thing with you, probably. You're right. You don't want to suck because that's yeah. the worst feeling when you walk past an audience and you have sucked. They all just look at you like, oh, I could do that, and you're like, no, you could. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's. Uh, that hasn't. I'm trying. I feel like I had kind of a, a weird. Oh, it was one of the. Um, one of the dates that I did with uh, with Drew Carey, we did this performing arts center, and the crowd was just so stiff and and weird. And it's just it's a bummer feeling because it's like, well, I don't know what I I don't know what I can do. You guys don't like me, and <laughs> I can just be me. So <laughs> I'll just talk for another ten minutes, and we'll all forget this ever happened. It's crazy, it's, and it's it's a bad. It sticks with you. You sit there. I mean, it's hard to shake off. Even you know, it's like, but it sticks with you for you know. Maybe five hours right. afterwards. Yeah, then you go, like, ah, the hell with it. You know what? what you just they like watching TV and you're like, eh, whatever. I'll so do it tomorrow. Now, how did the crowds take you when you first started out? Were you doing The well? first time was great. And and that's the uh, the other thing. Like when you go to an open mic, if, you know, because people always are like, how do you get started in comedy? I mean, you just have to go and do it and exactly. go to open mics. And no matter how scared you are of sucking or whatever, go and watch an entire open mic from the first comic to the last comic, there's no way you're going to be worse than the worst person that night. More or less. There has to be a worse person. But there are certain, you know, like, if you... Because without sounding cocky, but it's like I I knew, like, okay, I I have a certain amount of charisma. I have a certain, you know, I'm I'm naturally funny. Like, I, I... I knew like you're gonna I'm not. Like, I'm gonna be better. Like, there's gonna be at least four or five guys who are way worse than me, no matter what I do up there. Because you just, already have the confidence, and you can sell it. That's a thing. Yeah. I mean, I've seen acts that just suck, but they have that confidence, and they kill. And you go ninety percent of the comics did, out here. It's like, did you? Did you wait? Did you just get laughs with that? But they come out and they, or it's the high, high energy. And high course, energy. It's going to kill you. It's like, because me, I don't, I'm not high energy. I have some energy, but I, you know, I yeah. do some stupid stuff in my act. Yeah. But you follow an act with a high, high energy and you're like, you know, I'm not going to come out, ooh, you know, yeah. it's like, you know how that's because you're, well, I, there's, it's, it's interesting, you know, just kind of studying some comedians who are, um, you know, you see some people that it's just killing at a club or, or people who are getting success, but there's a real formula. Like you can see, like, oh, they just learned the mechanics of how to get a laugh. Like if you break down what they're saying, it's not funny, but when it's delivered in a certain way and, and, and then a certain physical action, it's like, Oh, people are kind of conditioned to just laugh at things right. that are presented that way. Um, 
But uh, oh, I forgot. No, you, what you said about you went up and you said you were you knew you were going to be funnier than five of the people. Could you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it was yeah, it was it was good. Oh no, that's what I was going to say. Is this this bothers me almost as much as as you know people just kind of faking it and getting laughs when. And you'll see this, you know, when I'm on the road, I'll go to, if there's like open mics or local shows, usually the local comics will, you know, they show up to clubs and they're like, hey, we're doing a show at this, you know, behind a dumpster at a Chinese restaurant. Right. And I'm like, uh, what time is it? 1 a.m.? I don't know. Kanane did it. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> <laughs> I've joked and I've told Kyle that too. I'm like, God, you're killing me on the road because he'll do anything. Like he's like into the like, oh, beer drinking and hanging out and uh, yeah, I'll go do, I'll sleep on your floor. <laughs> and, right. and I'm just kind of not that anymore. Like, I'm, I'm like, I don't want to sleep on a guy's floor. Yeah. When I have a hotel. <laughs> yeah, I want to sleep on someone's, when I can go and sleep with a nice bed and take a nice shower. Yeah. I don't want to go to the next day into the hotel. And like, you're, and I kind of did that, you know, even though I didn't start comedy super young, but yeah, all the traveling and stuff I did before comedy, I, I don't, I'm, I'm an older guy now. Right. I don't want to sleep on a couch and, uh, but that's it. It just kills me. Every every town I go to, there's always some local show. And, and they always wind up being fun. But, you know, when somebody comes up like, hey, we do a show, uh, starts at 1.30 a.m. It's in a warehouse out in the outskirts of town. And there's going to be a keg there. And you're like, ugh. I don't really want to do it, but they're like, well, Canane did it. And right. I'm like, well, if I don't do it, then I'm like uptight. So. Yeah, everyone's going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, Canane did it, but that Walsh did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Walsh you know, is better than yeah, everyone. He, he, yeah. He can't drink beer. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, exactly. I think I'm better than everyone. Because <laughs> I don't want to go to a keg at 1.30 and tell jokes after I just entertained at a club. Well, oh, you know, yeah. it is always fun, though. Like, I try to keep that, because I toured with Stanhope for a while, too, and he's a real kind of like, you know do it for the story kind of like you know right. and the more ridiculous and unfun sounding the proposition it's like yes i'm definitely doing that right but uh but my point was you know seeing you'll see it, like in these local scenes a lot of times there'll be a guy who it's almost like every town has one there's a guy who is brilliantly funny and great writing great ideas great jokes zero charisma like just repellent stage presence and right. that just that's almost heartbreaking because it's like ah god this guy is great like if he if he looked like Jezelnik and had some confidence he'd be a millionaire right but because he looks like that and whatever that like intangible thing is that just makes people want to go leave the room when you get on stage like yeah it's it's so but when you sit there like some of these guys you listen to them you're like that's one of the most brilliant jokes i ever heard and i'm like the only guy paying attention to what he's saying because for whatever reason he's gives off that vibe of like nobody listened to me i have not like i don't know just whatever they lack that something that makes people well, want to say, they said them. that about larry david you know when larry david's doing stand-up like he like a, a, he was awful, but the comics yeah. loved him. And they loved his writing. But I mean, they said if there was like more than eight people in the room, he wouldn't want to go on. He'd be yeah, like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know, I don't want to go on. I don't want to go on. You know, it's <laughs> just because that's just his. He had this low. I mean, it's just so funny. But there's, there's some of the guys that end up really kicking ass because then mm -hmm. the other comics know this, and then they get a deal and they go like Seinfeld goes, oh man, you know who'd be great writing this? Yeah, show? yeah. That like that guy Larry David. Yeah, and that's how it works a lot. So you're in Austin, and now you one funniest person in Austin. Yeah, now, that was, yeah. Now, how long were you doing it at the time you A couple wanted? of years. Okay, so now, when you were doing it in Austin, was there weekend comedy clubs and paying gigs in Austin when you were down there, or were you starting to go on the road at all? Um, yeah, I think 2004, like, I started, I did the contest for the first time in 2002, 
after meeting some local comics and i was like how does this all work you know how do you guys what you get booked on the road uh, and they were like oh do this contest that's kind of how you get on the radar and and did the contest and made like the finals the first year and then wound up winning uh in 2004 there weren't i don't think there were really any paying gigs i think the club like there's one main club in austin uh called cap city and then there's this other little one called the Velveeta Room. That doesn't really pay. Um, and Cap City, you know, you could get an MC week there. But I still didn't know how comedy worked as far as, like, contemporary kind. I never hung out at comedy clubs. I listened to Steve Martin albums and Bob and Doug McKenzie and Cheech and Chot. Like, I, you know, I had, I was familiar with comedy, but not, like, contemporary comedy. I didn't. I didn't know how like the MC feature headliner thing worked. Like, the first MC gig I got... I just thought like, oh, well, this is 10 minutes for me to do whatever I want. And uh, I was doing, again, like really weird stuff, like you know, had plants in the audience, gorilla suit, um, just, you know, this like weird Andy Kaufman-ish, like, because I was like, oh, I just want to mess with people and stuff. And and then the club didn't book me for like a year after they're like, oh, you don't know how this works. Right. Like, and and the, the owner liked me, you know, because she did, uh, that's how I got hooked up with Stanhope ultimately is because... Uh, you know, I did that weird weekend opening for the the Shannon brothers, Charlie and Tishon Shannon. Uh, uh, Tishon's been on uh, a few times on the show. Tishon, I always remember because we did a show in D.C. and I was his feature and he's the headliner. And we were talking about whiter shades of pale. Uh -huh. And he, after the show, we were having beers. He bought me a beer and he went to the jukebox and he played that song for me. I always remember. <laughs> and he goes, "You got to take care of your, your feature." <laughs> and T was T's wonderful guy, so nice. Yeah, he's a lot a cool of weight. Guy. Very got very thin. Last time I saw him. Oh, okay. Yeah, I haven't seen him in a while. Um, but yeah, I was opening for those guys and just doing just, yeah, really oddball stuff and different stuff every night. Plants in the audience, brought a guy on stage acting like he was my retarded cousin who was visiting. And we did this whole thing. I mean, he was a friend of mine. And Margie, the owner, was just like, you're such an asshole. <laughs> but like <laughs> laughing, but like, God, he's such an idiot. And so she knew, I don't know, she was like, didn't book me for a year. And then when Stan Hope was coming through town, he had previously been banned from the club for some shenanigans. But then the man show had happened, so he's getting back in all these clubs. And she called me and was like, listen, Doug Stanhope's coming to town. Yeah, I don't care what you do. You can do whatever you want when you're MC." And I didn't even know. I had never heard of Doug before. And so that's kind of, that's how we were introduced to each other and started working together. But I didn't... Uh, I, I think I, I I had a job up until like 2005, so I probably started doing the road around 2004, 2005. No, no when you opened for Stanhope, that when he came to the Texas Club, mm -hmm. did you do the banana? I mean, did you have no, at that did point, you do your material because there was a year of going to open mics and kind of just feeling as much as I, and I do go back and forth. Like I think about when I was starting and just like you know the weird kind of like I just want. I just want to confuse and annoy people. I don't want to be a guy who makes people laugh. I mean, not like I wanted to make people laugh, but I, I was into just doing this goofball stuff. Um, but then it's progressively, you know, it was like, oh, okay, I, I can also be normal. And, you know, I, I still have funny ideas and funny jokes and be more accessible. But sometimes I wonder, I'm like, I wonder if I'd really stuck to my guns if what kind of career I would have, if I just really just stuck to like these elaborate weird kind of pranks on the crowd and plants and you just you know inaccessible almost anti-comedy which i am still a fan of you know some people who do it but no i had uh by the time uh 
Stanhope came around. There was a year of me, you know, going to open mics and figuring things out. So my act was uh, was more or less what it is now. Same exact jokes and everything. <laughs> I haven't written a joke since uh, <laughs> since 2002. But yeah, no, that was it. Was yeah, it was more. Um, yeah, it was, it was a lot more accessible. Well, how did Stanhope pick you to go on a road with him then? Did he like you I when don't, he first I mean, he liked it. I remember, specifically, I remember the first, uh, our first interaction was me, you know, I went up and did my set, and I was emceeing, and I came off and, you know, was walking back to the bar or whatever, and, and Doug was standing by the, uh, by the um, sound room or whatever you call it, and a uh, sound booth, and he was like kind of laughing and was like, what the hell are you doing emceeing? And I was just like, oh, I don't, you didn't like it? I don't know. And he was like, no, you're hilarious. And uh, he was like, oh, you should be featured or whatever. I was like, oh, great. Yeah, that's fine. And then we wound up, uh, you know, I think we just kind of hit it off personally. And I don't know, because after going on the road with him shortly after that I mean, it was probably like a year or two before we got it together like he would call me occasionally and be like hey do you want to come to new york uh it pays 200 bucks though and you know you're gonna lose money on the gig and i'm like oh like i kind of well not i wasn't really blowing him off for a year but there was just i was broke right and was like yeah i'm and i also didn't know like i didn't know how cool doug was <laughs> like i didn't know like oh this is like a guy that you know is really doing it right and and a really interesting comedian. And it wasn't until we started touring that I got a taste of like every town you go to there, like, you know, there's a, like so many Stanhope juniors in that town, like, you know, guys who worship him and just want to get on the show and do guest sets and they're smoking cigarettes on stage and trying to be as edgy as possible. So I don't know. And I can't speak for Doug, but I think that might've had something to do. Like it might've been refreshing to him. Like here's a guy who is funny. I can hang out with him and he doesn't, he's not all over my jock right. 24 hours right. a day. Like, sense. you that know, makes... not being enamored with, I'm working with Stanhope. Oh my God. Like, I was just like, oh, this guy, see, he's, yeah, he seems great. But I didn't have, you know, I didn't, I mean, I didn't even listen to any of his CDs till we were working together for a couple of years, I think. And we were at the merch thing after the show. And I was like, can I take a couple of these CDs? I've never listened to anything besides the act that you've been doing since we were touring. And, uh, and um yeah, they they get were, $10. Yeah, yeah, he, well he took it out of my pay. He didn't, he, I didn't have to pay him right there. He just took it out of my pay for that weekend. And yeah, they were great. The uh something to take the edge off that he has Henry Phillips playing guitar behind him and um what's the first one uh Sicko or something? Yeah, I don't know. It's uh Yeah, yeah, they were great. And the next day I was like, "Oh man, you're you're really funny." <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, you can't tell from the act I'm doing now." So you were you were, you were touring a lot with him. So you were traveling all over the country. Yeah, we did a bunch of uh not not a lot of clubs. Uh it was like this weird period during MySpace and he was getting away from the clubs and was just booking things through MySpace basically like if you have a venue, if you want me to come to your town, find a venue and I'll work out the details and come. So we were just kind of like doing these bars and and uh, and stuff for for a couple of years. It was a great time, um, and it's uh, yeah, I'm really glad I was there. Doug's a pretty he's a, he's a really amazing guy, you know. Like you can look at uh, I mean he's he's a guy who just really kind of made his own way. Like doesn't 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 really play any games that he doesn't want to play. He's like just wants to be a stand up. That's what he does and. 
has kind of carved out this nice little career for himself without having to deal with clubs and anything he doesn't want to deal with. He's selling out bigger venues and... So when you were done touring with him, when did you did you move to LA then, or at what point did you transition, or did you go to New York? That's when I no no I came out here from Austin. I wound up being in Austin for over ten years. Okay. My little two year plan turned into you know. Forever. Well, you're doing a lot of comedy, then you're going to road. Well, yeah. After about two thousand four, um, yeah, I was on the road a lot because I was featuring, so not making a lot of money and driving, you know, all over the country. So I was gone. The last, like, four years I was in Austin, I was only there about half the time. Um, but, uh, no, we kind of stopped. You know, it's funny. When uh, when I was moving out here in 2009, I stopped at Doug's because it was kind of a halfway point between Austin and L.A. He lives in Arizona, right? Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and... And wound up staying, I just went to, I was going to watch the Super Bowl there and hang out for like a day and then, and then get on the road the next day. But then he was going on the road and had uh, was having this thing built on his property. And I used to be a carpenter. And he was like, maybe do you want to stick around for a week and feed the dogs and help build this thing, make sure I'm not getting ripped off. And uh, and I stayed there for like a week. And, um, and I wanted to talk to him about... It was, it was kind of a perfect uh, situation because I was moving to L.A. I didn't want to be on the road a ton. And it had already, I felt like, you know, me and Doug were working together. Like my name, like right now, I'm talking about Doug more than anything else during this interview. It's We got so kind of entwined with like, I mean, I, it was great that I was open for him. as a great guy to be associated with. But I felt like it had kind of gotten to the point where it's like, oh, that's Stanhope's guy, Walsh. Like I was kind of solidly becoming like just known as this guy's opener or sidekick or whatever. And uh, so, you know, I was going to talk to him about like, I don't think I'm going to go on the road that much this first year that I'm in LA. Cause I just want to be in LA. That's why I'm moving there and just kind of get things figured out. And one night we were like having drinks and, and he was like, Hey, I'm going to use local guys on this next tour to open for me. And I was like, Oh, that's great. I was going to tell you, I don't want right. to open for you this year. And uh, so it could have been a more amicable, like, oh, beautiful, let's give each other a hug and finish these beers. And, and uh, yeah, so it, it, that, but that went on for a few years. I don't know, 2006 to 2009, 2005 to eight. I don't know. And then you got out to L.A. Now, you had never been to L.A. or had you been to L.A.? I had been here um, a, a handful, a, a, a bunch of times before. Because you would come out, you know, for like Montreal showcases or, and, and you know, and I had friends moving out here from, so I would come out you know, probably two, three times a year for a few years before I moved here. So I was a little, I got, you know, I had, I had my, it wasn't coming into a completely unfamiliar situation. Like I had a little bit of a, of a feel for the place and it was, it was a good, you know. So when you got out here, uh, no, or is your known name known when you got out here where you could get stage time or you had to go through a whole process or how? No, it was a real soft landing. Yeah, it was, I do have regrets about not coming here sooner sometimes um but i think you know if i even if i had moved here four or five years earlier i think everything would have probably dovetailed into the everything would have worked out in the same time frame anyway because by moving out here a little bit later i had already done montreal i had been on you know i'd done something i did you know a couple comedy central things so i was already 
established a little bit as far as you know getting on shows and stuff so now you did the new faces in montreal right yeah now who would you remember some of the guys who you did that with yeah i uh chelsea peretti okay so that was in uh that's when we met nate nate was on that same year then right bargazzi nate bargazzi he was there um jeff die eliza schlesinger uh eric griffin Maybe Sean Patton. I think Sean Patton was was there too that year. Um, I, I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple millionaires. But uh, yeah, there's, I feel like there is somebody who completely blew up. So, so was that a great experience for you? I mean, did yeah. You- again, uh, with it being um, happening a little bit later for me, I, it was it was a good. I, I think it was great. The timing was really great. Like I had. I think I had submitted for a few years, three, probably three years, maybe four to do new faces. And every year you don't get it. You know, well, you, you know, every comic, you just start talking shit about all the comics who did get it or right. whatever, you know, you're just a sour grapes. And, uh, but I'm so glad, even if I had gotten it the year before, I don't think things would have worked out as well as they did. Not that, you know, I blew up Montreal and got all kinds of deals, but out of the group that I was in, um yeah i was a little you know i was more seasoned than than a lot of the people um but you know there were others like chelsea and nate like there were there were a handful of standouts and i don't think i would have been one of the like standouts if i had gone earlier and um and it worked out really well you know that's where i met my manager and then that led to me moving here the following year and uh and the funny thing is, you know, I almost didn't even go to that showcase that year. That's, and I think about that, like, you know, when, you know, when somebody asks you to do a show in town and you're just kind of, you've been working a lot and I'm like, ah, I don't feel like doing that show, but I, I really try not to blow anything off unless there's a really good reason. Because I think back to that Montreal showcase where, cause I had left Austin for about a year in the middle of that time. Cause I just kind of had a freak out of like. I've been here for like 10 years. What am I doing? I got to get out of here and went back to Philly for a little bit, went to Portland, was thinking about moving to Portland. And then after traveling around, think, you know, looking at places to move, they were all really lateral moves like Philly, Portland, Seattle. It's like, well, what's the difference being in Austin? And, uh, so I figured like, uh, well, I should, I should move to LA or New York if I'm going to move anywhere. So I kind of traveled around, went back to Austin and uh wasn't really you know didn't really make a big announcement like i'm back and and uh so they were doing a montreal showcase like within i think like a week of me moving back and i was hanging out with at the club or whatever and the manager was like oh you're not on that montreal showcase list and i was like well they probably just didn't know i moved back and i was like i don't care you know that's fine i don't want to be one of those guys who tries to crowbar his way onto a list that he's not on and um and I was like, yeah, maybe I just won't submit this year anyway, because I submitted last year and didn't get in. And I'll just wait till next year. And then she had a... Uh, so I was like, oh, I'm not going to do the Montreal Showcase. And I was fine with it. And then that it was on a Sunday. And I was at my apartment. I had just smoked some pot. The Simpsons were just starting. And so that's what I was going to do. I was like, I'm going to be on this couch and watch The Simpsons. My phone rings. It's the manager from the club. She says, hey, uh, they want to see you. If you want to do the Montreal showcase, you should come down and do it. I was like, okay, well, I'll see how I feel, you know, because I, I just smoked pot. Too, right. And, and I, I 
specifically remember that moment of sitting on my couch and it could have gone either direction. Like I was just as, I was just as close to staying on that couch and watching the Simpsons as I was to picking up my keys and getting in my car and driving out of that club. And, uh, you know, again, not that it was like this huge life changing experience, but if I hadn't done that, I don't know, like things would be drastically different right now. Right. Because I wouldn't have gone to Montreal that year. I wouldn't have met my manager. I, who knows what would have happened. And, uh, so it's, it's like, um, not to get all sliding doors. I don't even know if that's a good reference. I've never seen the movie, but Gwyneth Paltrow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But that kind of like just the, you know, those like little decisions you make every day, send your life into different trajectories and, and and it is like you know my only kind of motto with comedy is like just do whatever like there's you know if people ask you to do a show or whatever just do it because something better is going to happen like sometimes yeah sometimes you're going to go out and come home and be like I, I should have just stayed home I knew tonight was going to suck and everything sucked and it was a waste of time but there's more of a chance of something good happening if you go and do something than, in, you know, instead of saying, ah, I don't feel like doing that. I'm, I'm going to stay home. So after Just for Laughs, what was your first, what were some of the TV appearances you got? Uh, yeah, uh, um, 2000, I don't know what I did right after that. Um, I mean, after I moved here, you know, was, I did Conan, one of the first Conans on the TBS. Okay, okay, now was that your first time on a, let's say, a major show? Uh, more or less. I had done the Kimmel. I, I was on Jimmy Kimmel in like 2004 when I uh, had just started. It was like this weirdo. I did an open mic. I found a monster mask at a, at a uh, thrift store and bought, like, a, I bought it when I was in Austin. And I was going to an open mic that night and just didn't really have any new material. I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll just wear this mask and I'll write a bunch of jokes like a bad monster comedian. And did that at the open mic and Howard Kramer was there and he had already moved out to L.A. And um, he commented after that. He was like, oh, man, that was great. He's like, you should submit that to Kimmel. They love that kind of stuff, like weirdo comedy and i'd met dave rath who was booking the kimmel show i met him at the at the he was one of the judges for the austin funniest person okay. contest so i had his email address and phone number so i was like, okay so the next week or the or that weekend i did a show and did a set as the the monster character and videotaped it sent dave a tape and um and then yeah he like called me a few days later and was like yeah come on out do the show halloween's in a couple of weeks so we'll fly you out and you can do your scary monster thing and did it just as Scary Monster was the comedian's name. Completely bombed. And, uh, but it was, it was such a great experience. Looking back on it, I wish I wasn't so green. I was so green. I wasn't okay. even doing comedy for two years. So, yeah. So, it's and, and, and you're in this main stage and it's like, you know, what the hell? It was definitely more pressure than I was prepared for. Like, looking back on it, it's like, oh, I could have made so much more of that situation. But it was a little deer in the headlights of like, oh. I, like I knew, I, I knew there was a pretty good chance it was gonna bomb. <laughs> right. But when it really started going sideways, I was like, "Ah, oh, this really is going poorly." Even though it's kind of designed to go poorly, but I don't really have the chops to pull it out. Yeah, make the most of it. Yes. It's still a good piece of tape. If you go to, uh, you know, on YouTube, Scary Monster, Jimmy Kimmel, 
I, I don't know some, but Brendan Walsh, Scary Monster. I don't. I know it's up there. I didn't put it up, but someone has it up there. They always do that. So now, now you've done uh, an HBO uh, comedy special uh, on uh, Comedy Central, right? Uh, did a half hour special last year. Uh, what was that like? Were you were you, were you excited? I mean, I you know you, so it's basically their half hour special is twenty two minutes. Is that what happens? Or yeah, but they want you they want you to do as much as possible. Um, and I think you know not not accusing anyone, but I wound up going way over my time. But I swear I never saw it. you were supposed to get a light from a certain area, and I don't think I ever got the light. But I think they prefer people to do ten minutes over or more because then that gives them more options to edit See, that's but that's not yeah that's not always good for the comic so i wound up doing uh yeah i I went way over my time i don't think it was that bad i watched actually you know what i don't know if i watched i think i watched it once and um and was like all right it's fine i i I don't watch anything i do anymore just because it's uh, when i did conan I watched it like a thousand times that night and just obsessed about every little thing that was slightly off. And uh, so since then, I'm like, you know, once you do something on TV, there's nothing you can do about it. Like you have your chance, whatever you did, you did. And then it's, it's there forever. So what's the point in watching it? Could right. to beat yourself up or pat yourself on the back? Like you're so great. There's no real well, that's healthy. Like me. When I started this show, you know, I, I would listen to my show just here, you know, yeah. and I had to play a little bit of music and I was getting good guests cause I knew these guys. Mm-hmm. But now I, I, the only time I listen to the show is to make sure that it aired like today yeah, yeah. The thing in Florida, <laughs> it did not air. Yeah. So like my friend said, I told people to listen. I said, I don't know. It's this new station, yeah. but I don't listen to myself cause I'm like, and I don't edit. I don't. I sit there. I just do it. It's an hour. Yeah. My hours a show. Because I'm like, it's, you know, what, what am I going to do? I mean, exactly. It's, well, there's nothing do? you can do about it. Right. So it's what's like done is done, and 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 it's really like oh, what the only the only two outcomes of listening to it is like you're going to be down on it and pick out mistakes, or it's just going to be like hubris, like oh man, yeah. Oh, I love let me rewind that. My voice sounds so cool. Now, now, you, last time you were booked, you had to you had to cancel because you were shooting something on VH1. Yeah, yeah, that now, turned into a busy week. Was that was that an acting gig or was that or, or like one of those interview things? I mean, are it was you, one of those green screen shows. Like, okay. uh, remember the '80s, and this is a thing for the 2000s they're doing. Okay. And I also do um, that week. I did an episode of Jim Jeffries. Uh, right. You said, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. The, now, the was that was that your thing. first acting gig on TV? Because beside not like yeah. not not being you. But yeah, was that yeah. your first acting gig? Yeah, that was something like that, like a guest star kind of like playing a guy doing a thing on an established sitcom. Yeah, that was. Now, were you excited about that? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was really exciting, especially when I watched the uh, show because I, I hadn't, I had never seen it before. But uh, the night before I went in to shoot the thing, it was a small part too. You know, it was like eight lines. Still, though, it's lines, and it's only, yeah, no, yeah, it was I heard the show was great. Mindy Sterling was also on the show, and she's on legit. Oh, okay. And they would, and Dan last week was on. And they just said how like Jeffrey's just like this brilliant guy. He plays the piano is, and all this, and just the show was great. It's really well written. Uh, the everybody, the actors are all great. So it was exciting to do because I watched. Um, Went to watch an episode the night before just to see what it was about, and uh, wound up watching like three or four episodes, and I'm finishing the first season now. It's, uh, it's so it was nice to be like, oh wow, this is oh this. Not only am I doing a cool gig, but it's a good show. Like it's something that you know, it's something else to watch, and it's something to be proud of. Do you want to pursue the acting more, or just you want? Are you one of those guys who just wants to do stand up? Or no, I want to. 
I mean, I love doing stand-up. I love the autonomy of it, like, ultimate... But, you know, like, the ultimate of if you can just get a certain amount of people to come out every year, you can just live off of that and have a good living, and you don't really have to deal with too many people. But as far as... uh, You know, I'm always pitching shows and stuff and um, sold a couple shows that didn't get made. But everything I do, I want to feed into the comedy. Like, getting on television just gets more people to see you. So when you come to their local club and they see your picture in a paper, like, oh, it's that guy from that thing. Right. Like people just like to see people from television. Judge Judy could sell out the Staples Center without even having an actor just say, Judge Judy coming live. Yeah, well, it's like Charlie, Charlie Sheen when he did his tour. Exactly. He never did stand up and he's sitting there going, what the hell am I doing? You know, yeah. I'm here for an hour. So, so uh, that's like, you know, with... Um, so that's kind of the goal is like, you know, do things that are going to ultimately help make people say, oh, it's that guy. We liked him in that thing. And I also like acting to, or yeah, well, acting. I mean, I think I'm a capable, I'm capable at it. I think I do as good a job as, as, as a lot of people. And, and it's a fun, yeah, it's a fun environment. I like doing that kind of We have of a few stuff. minutes left. That's what yeah. I say. You tour, you tour with Drew a lot, right? Drew Carey. Yeah. Yeah. I have been. Now, how did that come about? Uh, just, he, he's doing he's getting back into stand-up. And but I mean, how do he find you? Was there... A- we have, uh, you know, some same agents, but uh, we had done a benefit show at the Laugh Factory for something um, where, I mean, you know, there were multiple people on the show, but he was on it, I was on it, and we had kind of just briefly, oh, hey, how's it going, big fan? And, and uh, when he was, uh, yeah, when he was good, look, looking to get back out on the road to do stuff, I think there was somebody he wanted to open for him like a friend, you know, an old friend of his, but they had a job or something. So I think, uh, our agents probably just gave him like, well, here's, you know, here's a few guys look at their tape. And I think he was like, Oh, it's that guy from that night. I liked him. His tape's funny. So it was pretty, yeah, it was random like that. Like there wasn't, we weren't like pals for years okay. or anything. Now, are you going out on your own at all? Yeah, it's about half and half. Okay. So which now, is, do you, think, you headline of course, where, where are some of the places you go? Um, I just I was just in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago. Uh was in at Go Bananas in Cincinnati. Uh great club, terrible name. Yeah. <laughs> uh uh Austin, obviously. Uh yeah, I mean all over. The Atlanta, the must, Laughing it, Skull. It must be uh weird because you go from doing opening where you probably do like fifteen. Yeah, it's like twenty to thirty, and then now you do what forty-five to an hour when you headline. I usually come in at about yeah. You know, it's funny. I time, I just keep my phone on on the stool to keep track of time because I don't really have a set. I just I don't have any material. Right. <laughs> but it's like yeah, I don't know. I I don't really know where I'm going. It's usually about fifty-five minutes is what I wind up wrapping it up at. But the Drew thing's nice. Yeah, it's. It, it can get a little exhausting because it really filled in the gaps. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm just kind of on the road every weekend now where it's like I'm either opening for Drew or doing a headline. Well, that works. At least it's just the weekends. Yeah, yeah, Thursday through Saturday. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. It was always good to meet a, and a guy from Tacony. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Give, give your info so people know how to get in touch with you. Um, well, brendanwalsh.com, B-R-E-N-D-O-N, and uh, also on Twitter, at Brendan Walsh, also B-R-E-N-D-O-N, and... Uh, yeah, that, that'll probably cool. get you in the right direction. Well, I thank you for coming on. And uh, yeah, so check his stuff out, people. And also, you can follow me at Twitter, at Cooper Talk. 
Also, uh, send me an email, cooper at indie100, that's I-N-D-I-E 100.com. And if you uh, go to my website, coopertalk.net, I have about, I don't know, 210 episodes up there. And also, go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio, type in one word, Cooper Talk, and you will find me there. Also, listen to me for a big doubt. Oh, can I? I have a podcast too. Okay, tell you about real it. quick. Uh, Bone Zone, the Bone Zone podcast. You can get it on iTunes or All Things Comedy. The Bone Zone. Check his eye. Listen to Cooper talk and listen to the Bone Zone. You'll <laughs> say, "Wow, this is a good day." Anyway, <laughs> I want to thank my guest Brandon Walsh. Thank Remember, you. send me an email, Cooper ND one hundred. I whatever. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Anyway, Steve Cooper is only as hip as my guests. Uh, don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. Have a wonderful weekend.